Welcome to the Valleybrook Community Church Podcast, and thank you for joining us online today. You're about to hear a sermon from our current series, Kingdom Culture. We are living in the midst of cultural changes that most of us have never experienced. As a result, we see an ensuing chaos that some have dubbed the culture of outrage. However, as followers of Jesus, we are called to build a kingdom culture. This 12-part message series, Kingdom Culture, is focused on doing God's will to see the culture of the kingdom of God on earth as it is in heaven. To watch any of our previous messages or find all listening platforms, we encourage you to visit www.valleybrook.cc forward slash on demand. Well, good morning, everybody. We want to welcome you here to our campus in Granby, also to our online campus. We're glad you're here, and uh, we're excited about today. We are in the midst of this series called Kingdom Culture, and today we're talking about the truth that the culture of the kingdom of God is community-oriented. And so to help me with this message today, I've invited Casey Daniels to come up. So give her a warm Valley Brook welcome. Casey, come on up. So as I said, we're talking about community, and I know that Casey has a cool story about community, so I invited her up to share with about that. So can you share with us about how you've experienced the power of community in the body of Christ? Yeah, so uh, for those of you who don't know, um, my husband, Harrison, uh, who spoke earlier, and I moved to Connecticut about four and a half years ago from Georgia, where we both grew up and lived our whole lives. Um, We got married in June of 2016. Um, Harrison was offered a job here in Connecticut, so we moved here one month later after getting married, uh, a thousand miles away from everyone we knew and loved. Um, So it was pretty daunting. Um, Harrison fortunately had um, done an internship here the summer before, so he had actually been to Valleybrook before and was familiar with it, Um, but I had not. So I didn't know a single person here. I had no idea what to expect. Um, And I was pretty nervous, Uh, but the first time we came, one Sunday morning, we came in through the front doors and we were greeted by so many welcoming, smiling faces. Um, So that really, really helped a lot. And it wasn't long before I met fellow young adults um, in the community and I was invited to the next social event. And um, it wasn't long after that that I was invited to join a women's Bible study and the Young Adults Life Group. Um, Harrison and I actually were asked to host the Young Adults Life Group. Um, So we opened up our home every week to uh, Bible study and prayer and singing worship songs together. Um, And, you know, I I quickly found out that um, if you're meeting weekly with the same group of people and you're praying together and studying the Bible together and getting to know each other, it's uh, really difficult to feel homesick and lonely. So... Um, I was very grateful for that community that we found here, and it wasn't what I expected. Um, uh, Harrison and I spent our first Christmas together as a married couple, a thousand miles away from all of our families, Uh, but when we walked in here a Sunday morning, we couldn't have felt more at home. Yeah, that's so cool. So um, in this past seven plus months, in this pandemic, you know, community's been challenging, so how have... Uh, how have you experienced community during this time? Yeah, when the pandemic first started, uh, we had no idea that we'd be required to stay away from everyone for so long. Um, after the first several weeks uh, passed and I didn't see any of my friends or my coworkers or really anyone that I knew, um, I was starting to feel a little isolated and lonely. Um, fortunately, it wasn't long before we were able to meet virtually. 
And I just remember that first video call that we had with our life group, I just felt so rejuvenated and my uh, spirit just felt uplifted and encouraged. And I knew that more than ever before, community is just so important. Um, you know, at our core, every person knows that it's not good to be alone. Uh, in Genesis, God, as he was creating everything and saying that it was all really good, he looked at Adam alone in the garden and he said, it's not good for man to be alone. Um, he spoke that truth and it's still true today. We are created for community and even a virtual community is better than none at all. Uh, this pandemic reminded me just how important it is to connect with each other. It's important for our mental health, our emotional health, and especially our spiritual health. We need other believers in our lives to encourage us because the reality is we can't do it alone. Uh, I know for me personally that I feel uplifted and encouraged and ready to live out the calling God has for my life after meeting with my life group each week. They help strengthen my faith by always pointing me to the truth and reminding me how much God loves me and his plan for me. And now more than ever, we need to be intentionally connecting with our community of believers and encouraging each other through this time. Uh, during this season, there's been some really hard weeks and I know that the weeks that I've been able to meet with my life group and meet with my Bible study have been so much better than the ones that I've spent alone. Um, when I meet with them each week and pray with them, I'm reminded that God is in control and everything he does is for our good and his glory. Yeah. It's just, your story is so cool because you left family and friends, everything you knew, thought you would have no community, nothing surrounds you. And, and God provided that for you, and you actually responded. You leaned into it. So, so what does being in community require of you? Community requires active participation. It's really easy to just passively participate. Go to church every Sunday, tune in online each week, and think that that's enough. Um, and the reality is, you know, it's really not. Those who don't actively participate in community are missing out on so much um, it's, it's not easy, it requires sacrifice. You have to sacrifice your time. You have to give effort to engage. You have to listen to others. You have to be willing to be vulnerable and share what's going on in your life. Uh, you have to be open to what God is going to do because God moves through community. Uh, when you commit to the body of Christ, you are committing to kingdom culture, which is not easy, but it's worth it. And it's not easy to be vulnerable and to allow others to pray for you, but it's worth it. It's not easy to set aside a few hours a week to study the Bible and encourage others, especially during this hard season when you feel like you can barely keep it together yourself, but it's worth it. God is with us when we gather together. His peace transcends understanding. His mercy transforms our minds. His love transforms our hearts. And through us, through our community, God is changing the world. He's bringing people to him. I had no idea when I first moved to Connecticut that I would make so many good friends and so many long-lasting relationships and deep connections. Uh, if I had never said yes to joining a Bible study or hosting a life group, I would have never found out. Uh, Connecticut, moving to Connecticut, I, I found this community um, and realized that community really requires you to get out of your comfort zone. Uh, set aside time and your busy schedule, sacrifice your agenda for God's greater plan, but in the end, it's worth every single second and every effort. We were created for community, so don't miss out. Yeah, thank you for sharing that. Can I pray for you and pray for all of us? So, Father, Lord, I am so grateful for how you provided for Casey and for Casey and Harrison and how you brought them into community and now they lead community groups. And 
Uh, Lord, I ask that you would continue to bless them as they lean into what you have for them. But I pray that we all would, Lord, that we would lean into this community called the body of Christ and that we would experience the greatness that you have for us together. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, Casey. Please show your appreciation. Well, as you can see, we're talking about the fact that the kingdom of God is community-oriented. I do want to encourage you. You heard a little bit about our small group ministry. We call them life groups. You know, they're actually never been easier to participate in them than they are today. Why? Because all of them are offered virtually. Some of them also meet in person, but when they meet virtually, there's a lot less that you have to do to get to life groups. So we want to encourage you, go to our website and join up for a life group. So as we talk about the truth that the kingdom culture, the kingdom of God is community oriented, what does that mean for us? Well, as followers of Jesus Christ, we need to understand that Jesus believes that we are better together, that we're not supposed to be lone rangers, that we're not supposed to go through this life alone, that we're supposed to actually lean into relationships with him, with God the Father, with the Holy Spirit, and with each other. And that value of community is illustrated from the first chapter of the Bible all the way to the last chapter. We see it as the nation of Israel is working together in the Old Testament. In the New Testament, we see it in the church. You see it actually in the very first chapter of the book of Genesis. In the creation story, there's this amazing verse where we see the community of God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit working together. Maybe you've noticed it, maybe you haven't. In chapter 1, verse 26 of Genesis, it says this. When it talks about God creating, it says, let us make human beings in our image to be like us. You hear that? First person plural. They're saying, let us create. So there we see the Trinity working to create us, to, to create humanity. And in the very next chapter of Genesis, we see this uh, amazing experience as, again, it recounts how God created humans. And it says something very different than in the first chapter. In the first chapter, every time God created something, it says, God said, it is good. He created the heavens. It is good. He created the planets. It is good. He created the earth, the animals, everything, the plants. It is good. But then he creates the first human being, and he realizes that there's nobody else on earth that's like this human. And this is what he says. It is not good that he is alone. I'll make a companion just like him. So there we see, even in the beginning, in creation, we were made to be in community. So let's really lean into this this morning. In the 12th chapter of the book of Romans, we see a whole chapter about what it means for the body of Christ to actually be the body of Christ, to live out what it means to be the church, to live out being in relationship together. And, and the key verse in that chapter, I would say, is verse 5. And this is what verse 5 says. So in Christ, we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. Do you see that? It says that we belong to one another, that, that as followers of Jesus Christ, as Christians, we belong to the rest of the body of Christ. We are individuals, and yet we together have connect in this community 
called the church. It's, it's a powerful illustration. Now, I, I need to point this out. It's not saying that we deal, do away with our own individuality. In the very next verses, God affirms that he's created each one of us in unique ways. Look at what it says in verse 6 through 8. We have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it's serving, then serve. If it's teaching, then teach. If it is to encourage, then give encouragement. If it's giving, then give generously. If it is to lead, do it diligently. If it is to show mercy, do it cheerfully. So there we see God affirming our uniqueness, our individuality. We know that God loves us and he wants us to come into his kingdom by faith in Jesus Christ. And when we do, he calls us son. He calls us daughter. He welcomes us in to the family of God as unique individuals that make up something bigger, this community of faith. When we go through the rest of this chapter, and I would encourage you to go back to Romans 12 and read it on your own, we see some special and unique values that biblical community is called to embrace, that everyone in biblical community needs to embrace and live out. So let's walk through those. Here's the first thing, humility. In verse three, we read this. For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. Now, it's that second phrase that I think it's important for us to focus on. It says, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought. That's humility. God is calling us to be humble, to have humility. I read this recently. Humility breeds authenticity. Now, think about that. Barnabas Piper has written this. If we lack humility... Our authenticity is based in a misunderstanding of who we are. So what we authentically project to the world is not real. Authenticity without humility is a lie. The truest authenticity, the best authenticity is humble. We cannot be authentic without being humble because otherwise we are presenting a false version of ourselves. So we need to embrace Humility as individuals, but also to be in community. And now I thought about this. I thought about Jesus. You know, Jesus is so magnetic. He's so attractive to the world because in his humility, we see the real, authentic Savior of the world who felt real human emotions like we feel, who wept with those who wept, who had compassion for people who were spiritually lost, and who were physically hurting, who angered over abuse and corruption and sin, and who asked God to remove this cup of suffering, and yet he humbly accepted the will of God and went to the cross to suffer and to purchase our salvation through his death. Humility is authenticity. His humility translates to us in seeing the real and the authentic Jesus. And we can identify him because we're drawn, identify with him because we're drawn to him. We want to know him and we want to be known by him. His authentic humility draws us into community with him. 
So biblical community requires humility because when we're humble enough to share with others who we really are, that leads to true authentic relationships and community with one another. Now, I suppose that we've all experienced getting to know somebody new in our life. And as we get to know that person, we we're amazed at the kind of person that they are and the things that they do and the things that they say about themselves. And then all of a sudden, something happens. And we learn that the kind of image they've been projecting is not true, it's not accurate, it's a lie. What does that do? It actually destroys the relationship. It destroys the community that you've had with that person and it will have to be rebuilt if it is going to be a relationship again. The reality is, is when we're humble, when we have humility, we're being who we are authentically and to live in community in the body of Christ, we have to embrace humility. So as members of the kingdom of God on earth, how are we embracing humility? Are we letting people see the real person that we are by living a humble life? And is that building up the greater community? The second thing we see in biblical community is this. It's honor. It's honor. Biblical community requires that we honor one another. In verse 10, we read this. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. In the body of Christ, there is supposed to be a culture of honor, a culture where we honor one another, where we devote ourselves to love one another in such a way that we will honor one another. That means it's supposed to be the place where we want to bring out the best in one another, where we cheerlead one another to success, where we want to see people become all that God has called them to be and planned for them to be, despite what the world throws at them despite the mistakes they make along the way. Now, I'm a big fan of uh, Lionel Richie's music and the Commodores. In fact, uh, if I were to uh, have you play the first part of any of his greatest hits, I probably would be able to sing it. Not well, but I would be able to sing it. And recently, I ran across a story that really intrigued me. It's about one of the greatest hits of the Commodores. Now, if you know anything about the Commodores, uh, they were an R&B party band. They were competing with the likes of Earth, Wind, and Fire. And so their music was really heavy with a beat and into R&B. And one of their greatest hits was very different than that. It's the, the hit Three Times a Lady. So I learned this about the this, this song. Lionel Richie was the writer of many of the songs of the Commodores and, and when he went solo, and he wrote songs for the Commodores, and he would write other songs. And when he would write those songs, he would think about the singer in mind that he wanted to sing that song. When he wrote Three Times a Lady, he had Frank Sinatra in mind. To him, the melody was a waltz. It wasn't that beat of an R&B song. And so that's what he envisioned it to be. And he kept those songs like Three Times a Lady, separate. He never brought it to his band, the Commodores. When his co-producer was trying to have him write some new music and he learned about this stash of songs that he hadn't shared with the Commodores, he said, well, let me see them. And so he shared with him Three Times a Lady. And when he did, he told him, listen, I, I wrote this. I see Frank Sinatra sing this. And his co-producer said, no, he's not. He said, this song is for the Commodores. And it became their first smash hit. Now, if you know the song, you know the refrain. It goes, you're once, twice, three times a lady, and I love you. And the inspiration from that song 
is a story of honor in the household that Lionel Richie grew up in. He said, you know, my dad was a funny guy. He was warm and he was huggy. And one day at the kitchen table, out of the blue, he stood up and said, I want to make a toast to your mother. And his sister and he looked at each other and said, what is going on? Dad is being weird. And then he made a toast. He said, your mom is a great lady. She's been a great mother and she's been a great friend to me. Now, in other words, she's once, she's twice, she's three times a lady and I love her. That's what he was saying. And that became the inspiration later in life for Lionel Richie to write this song because what he saw his dad doing was creating a culture of honor around his wife, around his spouse. And you think about it. That song became a ballad to the way Lionel saw his father honor his mother. As followers of Jesus... We're supposed to honor one another. We're supposed to honor one another. Even when we don't always agree on everything, we're supposed to create a culture of honor. Why? Because that builds community. That builds relationship. And if we don't agree about something, that gives us the opportunity to discuss it. The next thing we see is this. We've got to not only honor one another, we have to create hospitality. So as you think about how you honor one another, I want you to also think about how you create hospitality. The culture of the kingdom of God requires that we do this. I want you to look at verse 13 in Romans 12. It says, share with the Lord's people who are in need, practice hospitality. We're going to do a little Greek word study here. The Greek word for hospitality is uh, philozenia. Now, that's actually a compound word of two words, philo and zinnia. Philo is the Greek word for brotherly and sisterly love. It's, it's love, and zinnia is the Greek word for strangers. So philo zinnia is the love of strangers. That's right. We're supposed to practice hospitality. In other words, to love people who are even strangers so that we invite them into the community of the body of Christ. Now, when you go back to the entire verse of 13, you'll see that it's actually calling us to meet the needs and create and maintain community, actually with, with three distinct groups. It says, share with the Lord's people. In other words, we're supposed to share with brothers and sisters in Christ, but then it says, with those who are in need. So, so those who have need, and then it says, practice hospitality. In other words, love strangers. So we're also supposed to invite strangers in, people who are looking for community, people who uh, don't know. In all of these settings, though, here's the common theme. We're supposed to care for them. We're supposed to meet their needs relationally. And if they're in need for other things, we're supposed to do whatever it takes to meet those needs. Now, we tend to think of hospitality as, as uh, you know, the Martha Stewart type of home and some kind of uh, lavish party that we throw but really, hospitality is about loving people, loving people and building community with them, inviting them into our lives, meeting those needs that we can for community and, and even other needs uh, when people have things that are missing in their lives. So think about this. Is God calling you to create a hospitality ministry in your own life, caring for those that God has placed in your life. Maybe there's somebody who needs a meal after surgery. Maybe you have a neighbor or a friend or a family member who's 
uh, has, has a vulnerable health system and can't get out regularly to shop for food. Maybe you can shop for them. Uh, maybe you can begin to build relationships with people, even in this time when we have to do a lot of it virtually. I know we can complain about Zoom fatigue and those kinds of things, but the reality is this is what we have now. And as followers of Christ, we can't use some type of fatigue as an excuse to build community. We need to lean in. Being in community requires that we live our lives with others and we reach out to them. The last thing that we're going to look at is this. Being in community requires harmony. In verse 16, we read this. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. Now, the words that we translate as live in harmony can also be translated as be like-minded. And the second part of that verse is important because I think it helps us understand that living in harmony or being like-minded, what that means. And so the second phrase illustrates that as Christians, even though we may be different, even though that we may have different views on things, we're supposed to get along in the essential things. And the critical location of our harmony and our, or our like-mindedness is our faith in Jesus Christ, our commitment to him, and his commit, our commitment to living out what it means to be a follower of Christ in the body of Christ with people that uh, we know, people that we don't know, people that we hold this common faith in as Christians. We need to understand that more than ever because it's our faith in Jesus Christ that unites us even if we have different views on other things in life. You know, at the core of what it means to be a follower of Jesus are those core beliefs. Those are non-essential for all of us as followers of Jesus Christ. We have to hold those essential and that's important that we do that. But as we live in relationship, we're going to meet people that have different views, even in the body of Christ, on certain things that are non-essentials. And that's okay. We can love one another. We can get along with one another. We can build community with one another. We're not supposed to be copycats of one another. We're supposed to be who God has called us to be. In this season in life, particularly, we have to recognize as we come to this big election this week, that as followers of Jesus Christ, our faith in him is primary to everything else in our lives. Yes, even our political thoughts and our political viewpoints. I appreciate what Pastor James White writes. He says, if you're a Christ follower, you are not primarily a Republican, a Democrat, or a Libertarian. Not first and foremost. First and foremost, you're a Christ follower. And a Republican or a Democrat or a Libertarian, a distant second. And then he goes on and he says this, because your allegiance is to Jesus and not to a platform. Your ultimate citizenship is not in America, much less to an American party. Your ultimate citizenship is in heaven. And as a follower of Jesus, you're going to find that on some issues, one party has it right. And another issue, on other issues, the other party has it right. On a third issue, both parties may have it wrong. And by right or wrong, I mean looking at whether they hold to a biblical position. So as Christians, we may align with the party, but as Christ followers, we never stand under a party. We always stand over it. 
taking stands for Jesus who wherever those stands lead us. And so even in the culture that we're in today, as we face this big election, we have to recognize that we come under Jesus first and foremost. Now back to that command to live in harmony with one another. To do it means that Jesus is first, that he is the, the ground of our harmony. He's the ground of our unity. And then we let everything else fall underneath it. So we have to ask ourselves, are we promoting harmony or are we not? Now, these are the things that it means to embrace, to be kingdom, culture, community oriented. It requires us to live this way. As members of the kingdom of God, we need to lean into community more now than ever before. Because in the midst of this pandemic, what people are missing are connections. So honestly, Christ followers need to do whatever it takes to connect with each other in the body of Christ and with people outside the body of Christ. We need to lean into being in community and living in ways that care for one another to build that community. And that means, as I said, doing whatever it takes. It may mean joining a, a small group and using Zoom to gather with. It may mean calling one another regularly just to connect. It may mean going on socially distant walks or socially distant conversations, having those in the front yard. Whatever it takes. There's a world suffering with loneliness more than ever. And as followers of Jesus Christ, we understand that we have a calling to lean into community. So I want to encourage you to do that. In fact, I want to pr pray for each and every one of us to do that right now. So if you would, bow your heads. Father, we thank you for your calling to be in community. We thank you that you modeled it through what you do in the heavens with God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Now empower each and every one of us to lean into community and build it in the body of Christ and create it in the literal physical communities where we live and shop and, and live out our days. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. It is our sincere hope that it has blessed you. For more information, visit our website at www.valleybrook.cc.